Hi, everybody. It's your gay Uncle Tommy. You're about to hear a phone interview I did with David Scott, who was a regular at the Stonewall Inn and took part in the rioting 51 years ago. David has been with his partner, Little John Jagodowski, for almost 50 years, and they've lived on the West Coast, the Gulf Coast, and are now back on the East Coast, quarantined in their apartment in Staten Island. David and Little John got married in 2011. When I did this interview, David was sitting on his couch next to Little John, and I was in my bedroom. I also wanted to give a quick thanks to the filmmaker David Weissman for connecting me with David Scott. Enjoy. So I'm here with, with David and his, well, now husband, Little John, and David, it would be great to give us a little bit of context of what was happening in the 60s for you and also for the queer community. Well, first of all, there wasn't no queer community. In fact, queer was a, a real insult. Um, so that's, that, I understand I'll use that word. Um, you know, it was the late 60s were a pretty crazy time. Um, we had out the what's called the Summer of Love in 1967, there, um, where there was a lot of social unrest, and um, and New York City uh, during the late 60s was just full of people. There were people on the road. There were a lot of people just traveling around. Hitchhiking was easy, and it was kind of crazy. But I mean, obviously, the general pop population was not totally affected by that. But parts of the New York City, especially the, the Greenwich Village and the East Village, were definitely influenced by the whole hippie movement. The thing about it is that. Um, as far as the queer community went, it was being gay or being homosexual was about the worst thing you could possibly be um, in the general public. Um, nowadays, they act like a cisgendered white gay man. Have, we have it all, you know. But when I came out in 1964, I didn't feel that way. However, there was always a gay subculture in New York. And that's what I got, but both little John and I both kind of entered into that um, before Stonewall. And it was pretty thriving. There were a lot of gay people there, you know, there were a lot of homosexuals. I didn't even know the word gay when I first came to New York. And, um, and so, I mean, that, that was going on, and it was there, and it was in the West Village, too, where the Stonewall was located. Um, there had always been men picking up men on the street or in parks and places like that. But by 1967, 68, 69, it was becoming pretty open. I mean, this was a, it was a kind of a, I think I was part of a new generation. We were both part of a new generation of younger gay men who were, you know, socializing on the streets pretty openly. And we were mostly left alone. So uh, there was a really chance to come out in the streets and, and, uh, and hook up with guys. And there were certain places, and the West Village was one of them. So you were 22, is that right? At Stonewall, right. Yeah. Um, but I came out when I was 17. So I was out for five years by the time Stonewall happened. Um, and David, was and, that unusual, coming out at such an early age? Yeah, I think it was. And a lot of people don't even believe that, I, that it could have happened. I was out in high school, my senior year in high school. And, um, and it how was, was that unusual, received? So much so that I didn't believe it, but I have a journal. And I went back and looked at the journal. I was definitely out in high school. And I also have friends I knew from back then. How was that received, you coming out at age 17? I, I, somehow, I somehow managed to pull it off. I don't quite know. Um, I don't know that every person in the school knew, but, you know, if... 15 people know, then pretty much a lot of people know. Um, I, I remember I gave a speech uh, for, um, I was a president of the Honor Society, I gave a speech about character, and I remember getting it back to me that some of the teachers and, and parents thought that that was not proper, that anybody who was homosexual could possibly give a speech on character. But I mean, it's a, that's a long story, um, uh, and it went pretty well for me, somehow, I don't know how. So, take us to 
the Stonewall Inn. And, you know, how come you were going to that bar? Well, John and I both went to that bar. John and I had met in 67. And the Stonewall was um, sort of attracted us because... Um, because it had dancing and it had different different kinds of people. It was very diverse. Um, there was dancing, which is it was easy to pick up a guy if you're dancing, in my opinion. And um, and it was we just liked the whole crowd. You, you, both of us, when we first went to that door, we basically felt I'm home. Uh, this is where I need to be. And um, um, through the 1968, we were there a lot. Uh, we used to. Um, go in the snow. I, we, we didn't go on Friday and Saturdays with a cover. We had no money, but we used to go on pretty much every other night of the week. It was, um, it's, it's hard to explain what it was like in there because it really was every kind of person you could imagine. I mean, we had friends in the Stonewall who were military. I mean, um, and there were people who we now might call transsexual, although we didn't know that word at the time. Um, transgendered, is that what I said? I've used the wrong word, I'm sorry. Um, there were a lot of young guys because the drinking age in New York at 18 at the time, and they didn't check IDs, so there were even guys in there younger than that. And we're all people too. I mean, there was just about everything you could imagine. Wow. Well, let's go to June 28th, the night of, uh, of Stonewall. And, and so it was, uh, was that a Friday night? It was a Friday night. Um, and one of the things about Stonewall, which is, is I think really true, is that very few of us had any idea that first night that we were, or even the second night or the third night, that we were going to be talking about this 50 years later. Um, it just it just happened. It was a thing that happened. It didn't seem like that big a deal at the time. It seemed unusual, and but it didn't seem like they would be celebrating it um, on TV. And I, 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 what I remember is coming down the first block of Christopher Street from Greenwich Avenue, which was a sort of a quiet block. Further down, there was a lot of cruising going on. Um, a lot of young people don't even know what cruising is at that in this day and age, but it meant guys out trying to meet each other to hook up. And that's what we did in those days. No grinder, no internet, so it was on the streets. And it was pretty open. And uh, so I came down onto Christopher Street, the first block. I think it was probably about 1 o'clock in the morning. Um, I can't remember where I had been. And I ran into a crowd of younger guys. There's probably five or six of them. Um, and they were all kind of attractive to me. I, they were probably, they were just all sitting on a stoop, which is what we all did. And um, they were all goofing and having fun. And I sort of stopped. I probably would have been quite interested in taking any one of them home with me, but I, I'd never been that successful with this group and there was one guy there named uh, Kieran who was a little older he might have been older than me who had a little puppy and um, he was using the puppy to sort of uh, to you know flirt with all these boys he I think he was interested in them also and uh, the puppy was adorable and the boys liked the puppy and it was it was kind of fun I was having fun too but sometime at, during that period I was talking to these kids the police pulled into the bar now I could see the bar from where we were. It was like a long block away. Um, and we had no idea why they were there. I mean, it was easy to assume that it was a raid, but it might have been a knifing, for example. Um, it could have been a brawl inside. We didn't really know. Uh, these younger guys were all interested in running up the street to find out what was going on. I'm not the kind of person who goes running to find out what's going on. I, you know, if there's a brawl, I don't want to be near it. I want to be the other, you know, somewhere else. Let's go back to that idea of the raid, because I think a lot of people who are listeners would have no idea why the police would be raiding um, a bar, a gay bar. They used to raid the bars a lot. Um, the police and the, and the bar owners, many of whom were, were you know, mafia, um, 
had a kind of a deal going on where technically it was sort of it was supposedly illegal to serve homosexuals, and the, a lot of the mafia bars had um, watered down alcohol. Um, the, they, the police were basically taking bribes; the mafia were paying them off. That's the way I always understood it. But you know, I didn't have any insider notion about that. Um, I never actually never been in a bar that was raided. Huh. So the police show up, and the guys who you're hanging out with, they go running up there. What happens to you? Well, what happened is Kieran had this puppy, and he wanted to go, too. And I really didn't really want to go. I mean, I just, um, that's not what I was interested in. He sort of asked me if he'd take the puppy for a minute so he could run up and see, and I took the puppy for a minute, but it turned out to be a lot longer than a minute. So I'm stuck in this hmm. sort of very quiet block of Christopher Street, kind of a dark block, which is sitting with a puppy that belonged to somebody I didn't know well enough to be able to call him up the next day, and I just had to sit there waiting and watch all this kind of activity start to mushroom down the street. Um, finally, he came back. I don't know how long it took. It might have been 20 minutes. Um, I was getting very nervous. I now was a owner of a puppy, and he came back, took the dog, and I went down to check out what was going on. But when I got there, there was a crowd of people out front. It wasn't huge, maybe a couple hundred, and... Um, and they were all yelling, screaming, they were mad. It was sort of everybody's milling around. And I, if I had to guess, I would say that the police were kind of, it was a period of time, if you read this up, they were, the police were stuck inside and they were waiting for reinforcements to come to get them out. All the people who were arrested, all the paddy wagons were gone. And, um, but, you know, none of us knew, I didn't know that. I don't think anybody knew what was going on. Um, and then, uh, but there were a lot of people and they were mulling around and they were kind of angry. Um, I think most of them had just had enough. Plus, it was, you know, Friday night. There were a bunch of us in the street. We all got together. And, and, uh, and I think it got around that the police were stuck inside, and that was kind of exciting, you know. They had basically um, had screwed themselves over. And so the police I, you know, are I, inside, and you all are outside, a couple of hundred people outside. And I think so. I, you know, if I had to guess the number, I'd say a couple hundred. Sure. And so then... Did you then just like go, okay, I'm going home, or did the police no, get reinforcements? No, we all hung around. I think we, everybody was curious to see what was going to happen next. I, you know, it was, it was the, the atmosphere was really charged. People, I think, were people were throwing things at the at the the, the door. I think people were banging on the door. Um, um, I, it didn't seem to me like what we would call a riot by today's terms. Um, and at a certain point, the police came police came back and then the people started yelling at the police that came back they came back i think to get the people out from inside and uh who were sort of didn't want to face the crowd by themselves there were i think there weren't that many and then at a certain point it got it just kept you know getting more and more people kept arriving there were all these people on the, and mostly gay men they were mostly gay men who were on the streets cruising on a friday night you know the bars didn't close until four and it was now working on to two um, and it drew people, all these gay men from up and down the, the up and down the streets, and we were all out there in front, um, sort of at a certain point yelling, and uh, people are throwing stuff. I can't imagine. I can't remember exactly what I was doing to be truthful. It's fifty years ago. Sure. So I, I just need to go back to the bars were open until four in the morning, and and there were a lot of clubs had stayed open all night. I mean, uh, the, after the Stonewall closed, one of the bars I remember used to basically didn't get going until four in the morning. Um, so it was, you know, New York's a city that never sleeps. It really doesn't. Um, and so, you know, that was going on. At a certain point, after all this, you know, people kind of yelling and screaming, the cops had gotten the other cops out. And then, then basically real riot police arrived. It took them a while to pull them together. I think they had, um, 
had like you know shields and billy clubs and stuff. But even that, I don't think the way I remember it, it never got crazy out of hand on that first night. They were sort of pushing it out, and we were pushing it down and pushing it up. And then at a certain point, it it just did calm down. And at a certain point, I just went home. I didn't think anything else was going to happen. And pretty soon, the crowd it was getting late, and at that point, I must have been working towards you know on towards four, and. Um, and so I just went home at that point. Um, I've seen pictures of, the, you know, of Stonewall supposedly on the first night with all sorts of windows being broken and fires breaking out. I don't remember any of that happening the first night. I remember the first night being kind of full of hijinks and, 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 and an angry crowd and, and cursing and throwing stuff and yelling. But I don't remember any major violence the first night. It was tough to, for example, when the bus comes down, Christopher Street, it was tough for the bus to get through. Um, I, I remember the second night as being being the crazy night and I sometimes think that people who thought who arrived on the second night just happened to wander in don't think that they were there the first night because I don't remember the first night being that crazy so tell us about the second night so did you think here it is Saturday and were you I'm going to go back because I bet there's going to be more happening or were you just like oh well, it's the Stonewall, and I always hang out yeah, at Stonewall. Yeah, I know. I think I, I had an idea that something might happen. I'm not sure how I found out. I had to. I had to be work at seven thirty on Saturday morning, um, so I had to go home sometime on Friday night. And um, and I rode my bicycle by on the way to work. Um, and and I don't remember there being debris, huge amounts of debris on the streets or anything like that. I remember there being a little sign on the. Uh, pinned on a little paper note pinned to the wall saying we will be open for business tonight as usual this would have been about 6 30 on saturday morning so i went i would have gone back anyway just to find out how it was going to go but I, but i think people did start to realize this was a moment and and we needed to have a protest of these kind of riots going on and the saturday night um was a much more of, of what I would call an organized protest. I mean, it was a protest. It wasn't just angry people on the street getting pissed off about the, the raid. And it was a, a real protest. And um, and it it would have been a peaceful protest, except I, I think the cops all of a sudden realized that they were again under man because probably five times as many people showed up on Saturday night than were there, happened to be there at 2 o'clock in the morning on a Friday night. It was earlier in the night. And then it, then Saturday night, it really went pretty crazy, and the cops were chasing people with billy cups and trying to break it up. And, uh, and we would, and there were crowds, we would kind of run from the cops and then go and regroup somewhere and come back in again. I think, I think there were a few fires that night, and, um, and I always think of that as the real riot the night of Saturday night being the real riot. And I think that that many ways that riot was, was caused by the cops basically overacting some way, the way they are acting, acting now, you know, I mean, you have a peaceful riot and all of a sudden you put a bunch of cops going in, hitting people over the head with the billy cups and people really get mad. I didn't get hit over the head with the billy club. I guess I wasn't the most, um, um, heroic of the, the Stonewall rioters, but I did run from a lot of cops. Well, David, you mentioned fires. So, like, what was what was burning? Okay. Well, I, I there may have even been a, a, a trash can fire on the first night. Um, there were. I'm pretty sure there were trash can fires on the second night, and I think there might have somebody might have set a car on fire, maybe a police car on fire the second night. Um, I can't really remember. I have I have to say that there's um there's some footage that's been used in movies recently um, of you know cops and fire trucks and flames and everything and um uh that footage is not from the stonewall riot it's from something else if there had been anybody taking film 
up any of the Knights of the Stone Wall and it still existed, we would have all seen it over and over again. It wouldn't be just as a little bit of a footage in somebody else's documentary movie. And it just, I just don't think it exists. So, David, um, was there any sort of press coverage after the first night or even the second I, night? I looked, but and this is another thing most people realize. I can't. There are a lot of newspapers in New York at that time. There were like daily papers and there were afternoon papers. There was the Times, there was the Tribune, there was the Post and Daily News, but there were there were other papers too. And um, and I looked on on Saturday morning and I couldn't find anything, but I didn't buy all the papers. And I was pissed off that there was nothing about this. And then I don't really think there was any major coverage until a village voice covered it. And they weren't there. If you look up their article, it's not particularly flattering. It talks about all the, all the Queens, you know, rioting in the village. It's, uh, it's, it's, in fact, it's insulting, <laughs> but because the village voice was the liberal, you know, village paper and, they, they thought that they were, all the fags and, and fairies should get out of town themselves, I think. You know, they didn't, they didn't get out of a clue. Huh. And so then, how did it how did it sort of end on Saturday night? I, mean, I can't again, remember. I must have gotten out of there at some point. Again, I, I wasn't, I wasn't, it's hard to explain, I was not trying to commit this all to memory. Even after Saturday night, I, I didn't, wasn't trying to remember it. I didn't. I didn't really uh, realize the import. Well, who did realize the import was that some some of the more active political types. And remember, we asked the Virgil question you asked was about politics in that area, and there was a lot of, of radical politics going on. And I think some of these men and women who were had been part of political groups but were gay and were are and pissed off that none of you know the hippies weren't particularly pro gay. Um, the, leftists, the communists, were not pro-gay. I mean, we were left out. And I think there was a, a core group of people um, who who basically saw this as a moment and organized the protest on, the, on Saturday night and went back and protested. There was a, a much more subdued protest, a real, pro, you know, the marching protest on Sunday. And apparently people kept going back afterwards. I didn't even know that. But these people saw it as a moment and they started to organize almost immediately afterwards. And I, I, I my hats are off to them because they're the ones, in my opinion, who really did it. I don't, I don't think that, um, the people who were inside the bar sparked it all. And I, and I, and I give them a lot of credit and I, give myself a certain amount of credit for, for being part of it. But I think that the people who saw this as a moment and turned it into a, a political movement are the ones that, that deserve the most credit, and they're the ones who put on the, the parade the next year. Well, you segue perfectly into my last question, which is when this was over, did, did you experience, and it's a two-part question, did you experience a sense of change, and then did you notice that there was a change within the larger, you know, well, at that time, gay community, but the LGBTQ community? Um, you know, I, I'm not sure that it was a big change in me or my friends, um, because we had been living that way all along. I mean, that's, we, we weren't in hiding. I, I wasn't, I, I had a very, very good job. I mean, they talk about this being all these homeless youths on the street on the first night. And <clears throat> I had a very good job, and I was on the street the first night. I don't know how you tell what a homeless person looks like. Um, I, I was just looking at uh, Mark Siegel, who was one of, the, one of the heroes, really. And they, it was an article about him, and they called him a homeless youth at the beginning of the article. And then later they mentioned that he was living at the... YMCA at six dollars a night. Well, my apartment only cost forty-four dollars a month, so he was—he was not homeless youth. Um, 
And but I think that that we had already been living that in that lifestyle to begin with, and I think that it didn't change us so much. But I have a feeling it changed a lot of other people, and um, and. Uh, but they, you know, people nowadays talk about, oh, nobody's out before Stonewall. We were out before Stonewall, and um, and Stonewall was a, a, a marker for us. But some of the people, people in San Francisco and Los Angeles, get annoyed because everybody acts as if Stonewall was it. But I mean, there were there have been protests in, in in San Francisco and in Los Angeles, and there was lots of gay activity in both of those cities before Stonewall. Stonewall is just a marker because it does mark, I think, the beginning of these organizations, and that's something I really wasn't a part of. This is 1969, and you are a 22-year-old man. Were you, did you, was your number ever called up for Vietnam War? When I was 17, we got, before we, the, we were eligible for the draft, they sent you out a little sheet of paper where they, with a questionnaire just to try to get you into the system, so to speak, and find out. If you said if you basically were on the questionnaire that I'm, you know, I'm in a wheelchair, they wouldn't try to draft you. They did have a question on there that said, "Is there anything that you know of that might be, might make you considered to be, in a, you know, un, unfit to serve?" And I wrote, "I am a homosexual." I was 17 years old, and I remember thinking about it a long time because it meant that I wouldn't be able to work for the post office. I probably couldn't teach at a public school. I mean, all of that stuff it was all tied into that. I didn't have to do that because I went to I went to Juilliard. I was in college for four years. You can get student deferment, so the student deferment worked from eighteen to twenty-one or so. <coughs> Excuse me. At that point, I went had had a graph physical, but I'd also had uh, some major ulcers that would have gotten me out. But I went in with a note from my psychiatrist, and um, and I wasn't drafted because of that. I got a four F. Wow, so interesting and. To me, it's just shocking around signing up and saying that to keep you out of the military, also out of war, meant that it also uh, precluded you from having like a civil servant job. Yeah, right. No, it, that's um, there was a lot of things you weren't supposed to be able to do if you had a 4F. And, you know, the thing about it is it turned out to not be a major impact in my life because the world changed. But when I was 17... The notion was that if you were gay, you're, you were just destined to be miserable all your life. And the notion in proper society was that. But there was in the gay subculture, we were all doing just fine. Well, it's interesting of how you say after that, that, that having the 4F was not a problem. And, and it makes me think of the, you know, when you say after that, it's like the that is the end of the Vietnam War, Martin Luther King riots, the, you know, the, the, the gay and lesbian organization and the um, civil rights movements. And, you know, I mean, there were just so many things that were going on there, not to mention women's liberation, that it just, right. boy, it was a few years of just tumult. Yeah. But the other thing I have to say um, is that uh, I realized when I wrote that, when I came out in high school, that I was not going to be able to live the standard middle class life that I that I that ordinarily I would have had. I, I came from a you know a middle class family. I had a college education. I did well in school. I was on the gymnastics team. I was the president of the of the honor society. I mean I could have had all that stuff. And I basically realized, no, I I'm gonna have to just play it by ear and, and I if you read my my diary from that era, from my senior year, 
you can see me working that out and realizing, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fight it. I, I, my parents, when I found out I was gay, in right at the beginning of college, that we we were kind of pussyfooting around it. I didn't come out to my parents in high school, but we we had a discussion about it very early on, and they sent me to a psychiatrist, not not to cure me, but because they thought that they were not qualified to give me good advice. And they sent to me a psychiatrist, and I said to the psychiatrist, I'm not, I don't want to be changed. I'm happy with who I am. I'm, I want to be me. I don't want to be changed. I, I was very lucky. I, I, I got a great psychiatrist. He looked at me. He said, if I ever try, try to change you, you can just tell me to go fuck myself. I love that. Which, and, and, you know, you, I, I'm pretty sure Larry Kramer... Um, I dedicated uh, a normal, a normal, a normal heart to the same man, Norman Levy. Did you meet Little John at Stonewall? No, no, John. Little John and I met in, in 1967 on a roof. And it's, a, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a kind, of, it's a wonderful story, but it's much too long to tell here. We actually kind of really hooked up about a few months later at a, on Eighth Street, and he was with a bunch of kind of gay hippie friends. And um, this was all new. There were the gay, the hippies in the East Village. There were very, there was very little gay stuff in that. And in fact, um, but all of a sudden, I, I found myself all these guys who were like me. And um, even though I had a good job, I was kind of hippie. I had long hair. And all of a sudden, we went, we went back to um, one of the guys' apartments to have and partied out for a while. And then I took him back home with me to to, up, to Upper West Side, where I was living at the time. Both Little John and I feel like we were just about the luckiest people on the face of the earth. So. Um, um, and and if, if you'd asked me in 1964, if you look at my journal, um, I think you could see that I felt that maybe I was the unluckiest person on the face of the earth. And so it just did, it did a real 180 degree turn. And um, and I'm really glad it did. So uh, and uh, and we're here sitting here still stuck kind of indoors in New York, but um, we'll be back again. <laughs> again, thank okay. you for this gift. This is the first episode of Ask Your Gay Uncle, and it's being released on, on Stonewall and to have someone who is actually there, it's, it's just right. so amazing. So thank you for that gift. Okay, you're welcome. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.